Our scripture reading this morning is Psalm 139, 13 through 16. And it's these verses, as well as uh, some verses that I'll be pointing to in Genesis 1, that uh, provide the foundation for our message this morning. Psalm 139, 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place. When I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. It's God's word this morning. So last week, we, what we did is we saw five pieces of compelling evidence for the supremacy of Jesus Christ. And now today, this week, in the weeks forward, we're going to see how Jesus has impacted the world, society, through his life, through his work, through his person. On January 13, 1984, President Ronald Reagan issued a proclamation that designated January 22 of that year as the National Sanctity of Human Life Day. Churches and people around the U.S. celebrated that day God's gift of life. They commemorated the many lives lost to abortion, especially since Roe vs. Wade, 1973, and, and, and people committed to protecting life at every stage. Sanctity of Life Day has been on the third Sunday of January ever since. Pretty much all of us here likely have a good sense of what that's about, that it has especially to do with protecting the life of babies in the womb, but also protecting vulnerable life of all kinds. The word sanctity, it's not one we use every day, it means sacred, and that means holy. We sang at the beginning of worship the song, Holy is the Lord. That type of song is a traditional part of the church's worship throughout the centuries that we call the sanctus, and that's Latin for holy. God is Sanctus. God is perfectly holy, but somehow also there's something holy about all human life. And what we're going to do this morning is dig into this idea, biblically speaking, with the help of that second chapter of the book we're following by Ortberg. And, and what we're going to do this morning is see three things that you need to know about sanctity of life. Three things you need to know about sanctity of life. First of all, you need to know that the idea of sanctity of life has biblical foundations. And it's really grounded in God himself and grounded in the fact that all people are created in his image. In Psalm 139, David writes, you created my inmost being. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. The Bible starts out in Genesis 1 with these words, right? In the beginning, God 
created the heavens and the earth. And in verse 26 of Genesis 1, we read that all people were created in God's image. Not only are we just created, we're created in the very image of God. And the fact that this world has been created and that we are created has tremendous implications. It means everything around us is no accident. Your life, your existence is not an accident. Sometimes you wonder about that, right? I do sometimes, like, but God has you here for a reason. We're not here by chance. Science talks about the Big Bang, an initial burst out of which everything came from nothing. But science doesn't give us an answer for how or why we came into being. And the Bible tells us those things. God spoke, and that's how the universe and life came into being. And Scripture tells us the answer to the big question of why, too, for His glory. If life is only the result of random events, like atheistic evolution says it is, it's hard to understand why in the world we would value life. But if we are created, if we came from God Himself, and if we're made in His image, well, then it's a completely different story. Then life is special, sacred, and it's even holy in a sense. And we could take it a step further to say that because God created all people in His image, all people are loved by God. Even unbelievers, you might wonder? I believe so. Those who believe in Jesus are loved by God in a special way, a, a completely unique way, with a saving love, with saving grace. But even those who don't believe are loved by God by virtue of creation and being made in the image of God. So even though God's love for His people is special, it's higher, it's saving love. There's a real sense in which all people are loved by God. And for that reason, we too should love all people. I have four daughters. The youngest is Adriana. She's, she's going to be four in about a week. And, and she is a very special, soft animal that she sleeps with every night. It's called... Her lovey. We actually had to sneak it up here. Sarah brought it in her purse. I talked to her this morning as I was leaving. She was still waking up. And, um, and I explained to her that I was going to talk about lovey. I mean, she's not here now. She's in the children's message. I was going to talk about lovey in church in the sermon. She just laughed in my face. So I asked her if I could take it with, you know, and I tried very nicely to explain what was going on. Every time she just laughed and like, you know, rolled over and snuggled with her. A lot of kids, little kids, and some of you big kids I know too, have these still. I met the special zebra of Olivia Kinnis. She's about one and a half last Sunday. She dropped it and, and I picked it up and held it for a bit. Olivia's eyes did not leave the zebra. And when I finally gave it back, she cuddled it tight. Like zebra, lovey looks a little rough, a little worn, a little beyond her years. 
not necessarily beautiful in itself, but lovey is loved deeply. And it's because she's lovey. It's just because. We could call that a bestowed worth. Worth given by another, by Adriana. Worth given to this lovey by Adriana just because. Well, people have worth just because we exist. God created everyone in his image, and so worth is bestowed on them by our God. And and so there are these biblical, divine foundations to the idea of sanctity life. It's not just an idea. It's not just a conservative philosophy that someone just made up one day. No, it's based in God's word. It's based in God himself. Second thing you need to know besides these biblical foundations is that the idea of the sanctity of life has turned our world upside down. Things look completely different today because of this biblical view of life. In the ancient world, there was this hierarchy, a certain sense of the ordering of life. You had the gods, little g, way up there somewhere, and then you had the king, members of the court, and then sort of priests, priests, craftspeople, merchants, peasants and slaves. The king who was way up there, close to the divine, was the only person who was seen as having an image of God in any sort of sense. And the further you went down, the bigger that gap from the divine. Women and children, they were at about the the lowest level, if not among the slaves, barely above. Women had no rights to speak of, They could be divorced on a whim for no reason. Many babies never grew up because unwanted babies would be left to die. And they even had a term for it in the Roman Empire, exposure. The head of every home had the legal right to decide the life or death of other members of the family. And that was usually decided within the first eight days of life. Until that decision to let the child live happened. The Greek historian Plutarch wrote, a child was more like a plant than a human being. Babies could be left to die if a family was poor. A baby would be left so a wealthy family didn't have to divide up their state in any more pieces. Or a baby could be left to die if it was the wrong gender. That's a girl. Or if the child was illegitimate. Now, the Jewish people valued life all along because their faith was rooted in God and his word in Genesis 1. But among the Romans, a baby like Jesus might not even have survived because Mary got pregnant outside of a marriage, and so humanly speaking, he was illegitimate. Among the Romans, abandoned children were left on the garbage dump outside the city. Disabled children, weak ones, often were drowned. There was even a Roman law that said a boy who was strikingly deformed, he should be disposed of very quickly. When Jesus came, he ushered in a new way of looking at life that would spread beyond God's 
Old Testament people to the entire world. And we see the seeds of that new era in the story of Jesus' birth, as Matthew tells it. And there we read about Jesus, the baby born of Mary, and then we read of King Herod the Great. The baby would have been considered nothing in society, and the other one was right at the top. After the wise men from the east came through Jerusalem and Herod learned that they were following the star to Bethlehem, the king ordered all the baby boys in and around Bethlehem who were two or younger to be killed. Terrible, but not a crazy thing to do for a powerful ruler in those days. They had that right. Children weren't worth a whole lot after all. Joseph and Mary escaped to Egypt after the Lord warned them, and Jesus was kept safe. But then a while later, Matthew makes a note of telling us that King Herod died. The Bible notes that. We would have guessed that over time he would have died, of course, but the Bible tells us Herod died. And so Herod, the great king, becomes Herod the dead. The old order was starting to end with Jesus on the, on the scene. Things were turning upside down. Jesus would grow up, and we would see that he'd treat everyone with dignity because he saw and he knew the image of God in all people. Jesus was asked who was the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. He didn't pick the top rung of society, but he called, who did he call to himself? A little child. And he said, unless you become like children... You'll never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever takes the lowly position of a child will be the greatest. And so the lowest in society, he calls great. Jesus was a friend of sinners. He hung out with ordinary people. He paid attention to lepers and cripples and blind people and beggars and prostitutes and fishermen and women and children. He would announce a kingdom different from Herod's or anywhere else in the ancient world where blessing was given to the poor in spirit, to the meek, to the persecuted. And that view of life revolutionized our world. Things are very different now because of Jesus and His coming in terms of life. By the late 4th century, the Roman emperors, starting with Constantine, who turned to Jesus... They outlawed exposure. Nowhere was exposure allowed anywhere in the empire anymore. Instead of leaving unwanted children on the garbage heaps, people left children by churches because they knew Christians would take them in. And orphanages began to rise up for the very first time. Because of Jesus, this new view of life based in creation and on the love of God and the image of God in everyone, this new view started taking hold. And it's, it's a whole new way of looking at people. And, and now it seems normal to us because it's so woven into the fabric of societies that have been impacted by Christianity. Our Declaration of Independence says, we hold these truths to be self-evident that all men are created equal. That was not self-evident at all to the people in the ancient world. But in a culture that's been changed by Christianity, people view individuals very differently. We believe 
The lowly have dignity and rights, not just the rich and powerful. Maybe you've heard the story of Dick Hoyt and his son Richard. Richard was born brain damaged because the umbilical cord was wrapped around his neck when he was born. And he would never walk or talk. Back in ancient Rome, he would have been left to die. But Dick and his wife took their baby home to care for him. When Richard was 11, they took him to the engineering department of a university to see if some sort of device could be made to help him communicate. After a a lot of really hard work, they came up with a computer that, and this is crazy, but it allowed him to type out a sentence by hitting a button with the side of his head, which was the only part of his body that, that he could move and use at all. One day, this son, Richard, heard about a benefit race being run to help a paralyzed man. I don't know if he heard, heard it on the radio or on TV. He typed out a sentence, Dad, I want to run. His dad, Dick, was not in good shape, but he ran. He somehow finished that race, pushing his son in his wheelchair the whole time. And afterward, Richard wrote a sentence, When I ran, I didn't feel disabled. And so his dad, Dick, began to run. And this father pushed and pulled and carried his son over 200 triathlons, more than 85 marathons. Dick's best time for a marathon is a little over two and a half hours. That's within 30 minutes of the world record. And that world record was not set by a guy pushing his son in a wheelchair. You could go to YouTube sometime and watch some of the videos of Dick and Richard Hoyt. Very moving. The Greeks gave us the Olympics. They loved physical excellence and perfection. And the Greeks gave us the marathon too, you know, that ultimate test of human will and strength. But the Greeks did not give us the story of a marathon being run by a man carrying his crippled son. That's from our Jesus. And because of Jesus, People look different to us. A child who can't walk. Someone with autism. Homeless people. Mentally ill. Foreigners. Criminals. Poor. The diseased. The peoples of the ancient world viewed all of these as burdens to be discarded like garbage. But we see in all people those who bear the image of our God. And when we think about all this, on a day like this, we're so saddened by the millions of lives lost to abortion. 5,000 a year estimated in our county alone. This idea of equality of life that has so permeated our society does not extend by law to babies in the womb. In terms of abortion and other evils in our society, we wonder... Are we slipping as a society back into more barbaric and pagan times? You think of France in the last week or two and, and Nigeria. And the reality is, if a society 
if a people rejects the Lord of life, it's inevitable. It's absolutely inevitable that the idea of the sanctity of life is going to start slipping too. And that's where, finally, this morning, our our personal calling in all of this comes and where it becomes important. We've seen the biblical foundations of sanctity of life, uh, the way it revolutionized the world, and, and finally, we see that the sanctity of life presents God's people with a calling today. In Genesis 1.26, where we read that God created all of us, men and women, in his image, he calls people to rule over the earth. People have failed in that call in sin. But with the coming of Jesus, this calling... To rule has been renewed. The Bible uses even the language of exercising dominion. That word dominion is royal language. In the ancient worlds, it was only used for rulers and powerful people and kings. They had dominion. But in God's design... Everybody has dominion because everybody's been created in the image of God. This is part of how the world has been turned upside down by Jesus. If you think about it, how empowering this is. Not just the greatest, but even the least. Even you and me, and and we're not really among the least as we look at the peoples of the world, but... The least of these, even you and me, we have this call to exercise dominion. The key question is, how do we do that? How do we rule? Well, Christ who saves us is our example. He was not like an earthly king. He didn't establish a kingdom with power and might. The first Christian hymn is written, we believe, in Philippians 2. That hymn tells us that Jesus made himself nothing and came in the form of a servant. He humbled himself. He went to the cross. And so the one who in the universe had the most power used it for the benefit of others. He used it to lift us up. He used it to save the needy and the lost in sin. Each one of us. That model, this new paradigm of using power and greatness, that's now our calling. Those with power and position and time and talent and resources, we use what we have for those who have less. Jesus says, whatever you do for the least of these. The old paradigm is for those with power to stomp down on those who don't, to keep them down. And that still happens in our world. It still happens in our society. But God's way and the way of life is to empower those who are weak, to lift up the needy. This is what Jesus did in a profound way when he came to earth. He did it especially to meet us in our sin, and that work of atonement has implications for all of society. Babies in the womb have no voice, they have no say, and so we who do have a voice and we have a say, we speak up for them. I think of our homes when I think of ruling, exercising dominion like Jesus. 
The old way says the man is the boss. He's in charge. He's at the top. The women and children are far below, and he rules with an iron fist. Jesus' way is for the husband to empower his wife and children, to lift them up, to use your position, men, and your strength. Most often men are physically stronger. To use that power to bless your wife and children. Paul in Ephesians tells husbands to love their wives as Christ loved the church. So the one with the power applies God's love to the marriage relationship and to his home. That's what we do with our power, men. We serve, we love, we lift up those around us. In the church, our elders, our deacons, our pastors are called to lead. How? Well, as the chief servants of the flock, loving the people, any spiritual authority is granted to lift up the weak and the struggling to empower people in their walk with God. And so this morning, we've dug a bit into this idea of the sanctity of life. Uh, we could go on for a long time thinking of examples to apply this, we've, but we've seen its origins in God and His Word. We've seen how through the coming of Christ, societies have been revolutionized, and we've seen a bit of our calling to use our lives to bless those in need around us. My prayer is that God would give each one of us vision for how this calling can look in our lives. Does your view this morning of those who are weak need to change and get more aligned with Jesus' vision? Who can you lift up around you with the blessings God has given you? What needs do you see around you? Emotional, spiritual, physical, How can we respond to those around us, every one of which bears the image of God? I believe we have to start by thinking of those closest to us in our own home, our own family members and friends, those in this church, and then may God expand our vision from there in so many ways as we write letters to those in prison with Crossroad as we support and volunteer at PADS, our ministry to the homeless, as we bring in the lost to this place so that they can be lifted up by Jesus. May God truly make us a people who cherishes the sacredness of life. May we live out the kingdom values of Jesus, the one who met us in our need and who has turned our world upside down so that we can bless others. May we as people do that. Amen.